Welcome to the Campus Experience with Josh Farr. This podcast explores the fascinating world of student leadership with a focus on clubs and societies, as well as ambassadorial, entrepreneurial, and leadership programs. I'm your host, Josh. This audio experience also documents my journey building Campus Consultancy. With unprecedented demand for our first-of-its-kind program, I'll show you how I'm realising the potential of connected and empowered student communities by building Australia's most recognised entrepreneurial leadership program. Thank you for joining and enjoy. Our next guest is Mads Grummet, CEO of Girl World, an organisation that's empowered more than 20,000 high school girls lifting their aspirations towards careers in STEM. A passionate advocate for equality, Mads is a mother herself of four teenage girls, and in this episode, we cover everything from life as an early stage founder, changing careers, starting studying again, and what it's like to grow a business and how she thinks about leadership in the 21st century. For this episode, a big thank you and huge love to MYOB for providing us with the beautiful recording studio that we're in. Enjoy the episode, and let's get into it. Mads, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Josh. Of course. It's a pleasure. When was the first time that you were in a position of leadership or potentially even someone might have looked at you as a leader? Mm, it's an interesting question. When do we actually define ourselves as a leader? Because I think we're all emerging and evolving uh, in terms of our leadership capabilities and qualities uh, as we grow. I was thinking about this the other day and what I know is that for me, leadership has, has been an amorphous thing. It's, it has changed over time as I've been confronted with different challenges uh, in my working life and in my personal life. The earliest memory I have of leadership in a work setting was actually when I was doing a cadetship. I started my life as a journalist at the Herald Sun. Uh, and at that time, I was working with Pacific Publications in their magazine publishing arm. And I was asked to go out and cover a few stories that I wasn't comfortable with. I was very young. I was a cadet. I was absolutely like the smallest chicken in the, you know, on the on the rack on the peck, and I remember feeling this um, this gut instinct, no, because it was coming up against my value set. And I remember going to the, an editor uh, at that time and saying, "I'm not comfortable going out and doing this story." He said, "Well, that's what a journalist does. We go out and we get the stories and we bring them back. That's our job." And I said, "Well, I'm not doing it because ethically that doesn't sit with me." And at the time, it felt hard and like I was an outlier and really challenging a system, but it probably was the beginning of me emerging and filling out into this person who did say why and no. And for me, part of my leadership journey, and it hasn't been easy at times to be the person saying, no, I won't, or I, I challenge existing systems, etc. But that really, for me, was a strong start point of me recognising if I feel that something intrinsically is not sitting with me, then I need to act with my values first. It's been really interesting in our work when we work with young people in workshops. I do a values exercise and I've never had more than a couple of hands in the room go up uh, when I say, has anyone ever done a values exercise before? I know I didn't do that until I was at a, like a staff retreat for my last full-time role before I stepped into campus. And we sat down at this staff retreat and a facilitator came in. She was really, really good, really interesting lady as well. And she came in and she sort of said, all right, for the next hour, we're basically, I'm going to give you a framework. This is what values kind of are. We're here for you to look inside yourself and write down what you stand for. And for me, it was striking because I'd never done that. Mm. I was like 25 and I'd never sat down and said, what do I believe is right and wrong? Yet 
every decision in my life is guided up until that point for 25 years had been guided by what I believed, but I'd never brought that up to a conscious level. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing to do. I actually was also part of a values workshop. Um, myself and my co-founder, Edwina Kolomansky, um, were part of a leadership program for women called Compass. Uh, it's run by Fabian Datner here in Melbourne, and she consults to corporates all around. It was this very powerful female-driven leadership workshop. And one of the activities was we had to sit in a group, and we had a bunch of balloons, helium balloons. I think we were given five each. And we had to write on each of those balloons a value or something that we that we stand for. And we went round and we shared what each of those five were. And then one by one, we had to release a balloon that we were willing to let go at the expense of the others. And Mm. we finally had to be left with one balloon. And literally I was crying as I was releasing something. I can't live without honesty. I can't live without love. But the one that was, I would remained um, with was authenticity. Uh, And for me, that's really big. Like I don't do bullshit. Yeah, I, I can smell bullshit a mile away and maybe that comes back to me wanting to tap down to that, you know, the seat of what matters. That's for me has been a fundamental part of my driving force as a human uh, and as a human at work. And authenticity, it comes up and up and up these days because we're trying to get to what's real. We're, we're awash with content and we've got so many conflicting stories in the world. We've got a polarisation of politics. And what I'm always up for is what is that kernel of truth? How do I find truth in this this conflicted, fragmented content landscape? And if you can get to that and understand what's your truth and what's your authentic self, then I think you're starting from a good leadership base. We are awash with content. I don't know if I'd say that the content that I see regularly is aligned with people's values. Well, let's think about a world where social media doesn't have a currency of likes. Take all the social metrics away. What have we got? Um, And we, as you know, we were talking earlier before we got on uh, about a project we're actually doing with a bunch of teenage girls at the moment in Melbourne. Um, We've got some amazing summer interns on board and they're working on um, a social media project. Uh, It was born of our uh, our interest in social media and some research into the effects of it on young people and cultivation of their identity and archetypes of what we uphold to be humans who are successful, etc. And the project is called You Are Not Your Face. And it's a project by teenage girls for teenage girls. And it's really at its heart a storytelling project. Um, We put a call out to girls right across the world. We had thousands of submissions from girls from India, Iceland, Brazil, Pakistan, France, Germany, um, all over the place. We're actually pretty blown away by the geographic reach. What we discovered was that they had this real commonality around their experience of the current world and what social media um, is doing to their, I suppose, their lens on where their their worldview Uh, is the best way to describe it. So they've submitted incredible stories, life expressions, tips and trips, brutal hardships, a lot of them, who've really overcome some incredibly difficult circumstances. Um, But there's this really rich theme of wisdom and commonality amongst this whole generation of girls. And this project has made us um, really wake up to the fact that we we work with a bunch of young people and we don't presume to know it all, but of course, we work off an academic uh, educational approach. Uh, we go and we teach them about startup and entrepreneurship and 21st century skills and all these things that we hear a lot about. But what if we stop to listen? And what if we stop to understand what does the world look like to a 15-year-old girl living in the middle of a Pakistan, you know, a town in India, for example? What, what does it look like? What have you heard from these girls that's been not necessarily shocking or uplifting, but what, what is the reality? The reality is um, it's really difficult to know where to find role models. The reality is it's really difficult to know about how relevant the wisdom of the previous generation is for your own life going forward. 
there's a redundancy of wisdom from generation to generation because the world looks so different. Uh, as digital natives, they're blessed and cursed with that connectivity to the globe because they see what they are not every day. Um, some of the biggest issues that are coming up are around cultivation of online versus offline identity, online versus offline friendships. So you think about how bloody difficult it is and was to be a teenager. I mean, I'm pre-digital. I grew up in the age of, you know, VHR and, uh, and mobile phones didn't exist. We were on the, you know, on the, on the table dial. Think about how difficult it is to be a teenager in the world today, flipping around, trying to understand yourself and the world around you. And you've got these constant inputs that you're trying to manage um, about yourself. It's really, really complex. And so whilst this project has been to some extent a bit devastating to understand mm. self-harm, depression, anxiety, online bullying, offline bullying, on the other hand, we're getting these real glimmers of wisdom and light come up out of this sort of dark, you know, dark media. It's really interesting you mentioned that the girls who are working as the interns, I had the pleasure of walking to your office, meeting you, saying good day, and you're like, hey, Josh, do you want to come and speak to these girls for five minutes and just tell them a little bit about your story? I'm like, sure, why not say yes to everything, you know, uh, within reason. Walk into this room. If anyone's worried about young people, and I know that we have some people who are older, maybe who work in the university system, um, who work in the education system, tons of experience listening to the podcast. If anyone's ever worried about this generation, there are six wonderful, brilliant, motivated, selfless, inspiring girls sitting in an office, in a co-working space in Richmond, yep. East Richmond, on Tuesday, the 22nd of January, giving their time so that other people have a voice who have just responded to, I say just responded, who've been brave enough to respond to a social media call for stories. There are six girls sitting in an office right now giving their time to make that a reality. Exactly. And these are kids, some are heading into year 12, uh, some are year 10, some have travelled from interstate, sat in cars for hours and hours to come down here and join us for the week. So these are highly motivated girls, really different personalities. Um, some are aspiring journalists, some are aspiring um, mathematicians, but they are bringing these unique skill sets to this project. And it's a really great example of bringing a diverse set of people together in a sprint context, immersing them in the content, saying, here's a bloody big problem that we found. That and, and let's get out and build a solution that's going to be worthwhile. And it's a real privilege. The learning that we do working with young people is the learning always cuts both ways, but we learn far more from them than we teach. What did you learn from the moment that you sort of said no that first time, that first moment of leadership through to, and I'm asking you to summarise a career here uh, so far, but between that first moment and now, what have you learnt about the idea of leadership or who you are as a leader that other young leaders might be able to apply to themselves or think about or challenge? Don't accept systems as they are and don't take status quo um, to be the way things should be. I think whenever you go into a new job uh, or a new project, always look around and keep your eyes open. Leadership means going in and calling it for what it is, recognising that if there's inherent lack of diversity of leadership in a system, then what can you do to change that? My question was, how do you get a diverse group of people in a room focused on a solution? And you said, well, you get the diverse group to focus on what they have in common. You get them to focus on what's not in the room and you get to them to focus on the problem, not the solution. It's like the answer was the opposite of the question, which is brilliant. Is it's like, it's, it is what is common between us that brings us together, of course, but 
it's really a skill set as a facilitator, which I can obviously see, to be able to figure out ways to get people outside of their head, outside of, oh, this is my 11.30 to 12.30. I wonder what I'm having for lunch. This is some other corporate facilitator coming in. We've been here before. Or for students to go, this is just another class. This is someone else older than me telling me how to do things. Yeah, and I think you have to disarm with normality. Totally. That's the way. Like, I'm a human. I'm vulnerable. This is me. There's no smoke and mirrors here. Are we cool with that? It's even acknowledging the fear and the uncomfortable uh, dynamic that sits in the room. Saying, how are we all feeling? Actually, I'm feeling really nervous about coming here because I know I'm taking time out of your day. What I hope is this is highly valuable for you. I know it's two hours. You could be out snoozing or doing whatever else you should be doing. But to make the most of this time and without chewing out your own emotions around not wanting to be here, what are some of the ideas you guys have around how we can best make use of this time? So really involving them too in the process so that it feels like a group working together, um, intrinsically all being part of it. The other part of that is obviously you're going to get really loud and dominant um, people. That's fine. Um, they're great people. But the quiet person who is scared of contributing their viewpoint might have some incredible insight that needs to be part of that um, of that discourse. So the other thing to do is, as a facilitator, is really be the eagle in the room where you can fly up above and observe a lot what's going on uh, and then direct. There's a very cool aviation um, term. It's called an OODA loop. And it's observe, orient, decide, act. And that's um, something that I think of sometimes when I'm facilitating where you come up and above, uh, observe, get a reading on the room because things can change really quickly in groups of people. We know that just not from corporate workshops but from from any uh, setting where you bring young people uh, or any people together. And so it's really important that you're almost like a conductor but you're not writing the music. I love that. I'd love to dig a little bit deeper into your journey. We've touched on some of the origins of leadership. We've touched on a little bit about your views on it, your work in facilitation. Where did the interest in startups come from? So I went in and out of working in actual part-time jobs and it was just really difficult with young kids to do that. And so I ended up starting my own creative agency and we did um, a lot of um, brand and content activations, um, a lot of events. And that worked really well for me for about seven years. It was called Do Re Me Creative and we worked with lots of big big clients um, and I had a freelance workforce who were part of that. Um, so I was eventually sort of came toward coming back into work, but as I said, design work that could work for me around um, the reality of juggling four little children. Um, but I became increasingly interested in social entrepreneurship um, and startup and my interest then led to me going and doing a full-time master's at the University of Melbourne in 2016. When you say you got interested or got increasingly interested in social entrepreneurship, what was it about that that appealed to you? I think, again, going back into this whole purpose and authenticity side of things, I was really interested in businesses that were solving real problems and aligning purpose with profit. And I actually went to the Purpose Conference in Sydney in 2015, I think it was, uh, where I was really trying to understand companies like Thank You um, and Keep Cup and those ones that were coming up here in Australia and um, fascinated with the social change that was happening around some of those those brands that were able to be um, penetrate commercially but also really solve for big uh, social challenges. So um, I couldn't put to bed this interest I had in social entrepreneurship and the more I looked at it, the more I sought to understand what a business model looked like and how do you build a successful um, business in social entrepreneurship. And that led me to going yeah, back to being a full-time student in 2016 uh, with four kids at home. And um, it was one of the best things I've ever done. 
What was the makeup of the group that was going through that program? Um, so for those who don't know about the Wade Institute of Entrepreneurship, um, I was in the original cohort in 2016. They run um, a full-time Master of Entrepreneurship and it's um, it's an interesting master's insofar as it's um, the Faculty of Business and Economics at Melbourne Uni and also Melbourne Business School. So you're taught by faculty from both um both of those areas, plus a lot of visiting professors from universities across the world. Um, so an incredibly rich curriculum and, and academic environment. But the year is really full on. It's hands-on, head-on learning about startup and entrepreneurship and building a business. And in fact, you need to build a number of businesses through the year. Guild World was the ultimate sum of that building. We launched Guild World uh, at the end of 2016, um, but it came off the back of pretty much a six-month immersive and our master's thesis was looking at diversity rates and leadership uh, of women in Australia and the uh, increasing attrition of them out of roles of leadership and entrepreneurship. Um, we did a lot of study around STEM driving the future of work, so that is science, technology, engineering and maths, and um, the predictives around uh, future workscape for young people. And what we saw was that, that women were going to be completely underrepresented given um, the trends and the data we were seeing around STEM uh, fueling that. So Guild World became the solution. The course itself enabled us to really um, bounce this business model around a lot and say, what is the problem we're solving? Now, we picked a really big problem to solve, the gender gap, the STEM gap, the super gap, all the gaps. Uh, but we've got more pointy as the business has evolved. We're two years old now. Um, we've got a number of project teams out there and we're doing um, a lot of work that, um, that all carves out into the same space, which is really trying to up the diversity metric across Australia and increasingly beyond those, our shores. So the Master of Entrepreneurship is not for everyone. It's, I think, people who go in to come out with a piece of paper, it's not that masters, not to criticise people who make that choice, but you have to go in knowing that you're going to have to do a hell of a lot of hard work. If you had to cut all of those amazing things down to just one thing that gave you the most value in that course... What do you think it would be? That I don't need permission to go out and start a business. That yes, there's skills you need and there's mentors you need and you need, it's not just a single person. So the whole, um, you know, popular notion that Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, all the boys, all the bros, that they all are the business. That is not true. It takes a team of people behind you. Um, and that year really demonstrated to me the importance of tapping um, the values and, and the strengths and the people around you. Uh, and plugging the, the gaps in your own skill base and being clear about that as well, saying, I'm good at this, but actually I'm really crap at that. I always say that like the number one thing that I've got out of this whole sort of like entrepreneurship journey so far is a, such a deep self-awareness. It's like holding up a mirror to yourself every day, especially when you do the, like the solopreneur thing. It's like, if anything at all is wrong with this business, it is my fault. I am 100 percent percent responsible for every possible thing with obviously within a, my control but it's very intimidating to look at yourself with such honesty and I find personally really powerful to be able to look at something that I've created and look at its flaws and go that's kind of all my fault it doesn't have to stay that way the growth mindset I can obviously change it but either I need to change or get better at something or these skill gaps I have if I can't, if I don't improve them, I need to bring other people in, whether that's team members, interns, freelancers, whatever. When you looked at building Girl World, you obviously brought a lot of strengths and experience to the table and fair to say the vision along with your co-founder, correct? What did you see in either yourself or in that founding team as a gap in strengths or something that needed to be filled by somebody else? 
Uh, so we've since built out our team. We need we brought on more um, project managers. Uh, we we have mentors we go to for strategic advice um, for finance like finance. I hate running numbers. I'm happy to go out. I love business development, stakeholder relations. I'm happy. I'm CEO of the business, and Edwina is is CEO. Um, the whole ops layer thing. Really happy for someone else to build all the all the data sheets. Um, and we've got some great people on board now who who do that. But you mentioned you know that solopreneur, and obviously you know I've got a co-founder, but it has been us for the vast majority of the time. It's only in the last six months or so that we've been able to afford to put more people on. And you know, as a startup, your greatest currency is time and how you spend that time. And I confess I was awake in the night last night from about 2 o'clock till 3.30 writing down a few notes about things that I had to do this week um, that are coming up. We've got a pretty intense few months and that's not a good sign but that's pretty much what it's like I think when you are running your own thing that the buck does stop with you and there's no one else who, unless you can afford to go out and pay a whole lot of people to you know, do all the work that needs to be done. So it's this constant series of um, things move really fast. Um, opportunities come up all the time. How do you manage that flow? How do you triage what needs to happen day to day in order to deliver more value for that for that company? So you're learning all the time. And I think you won't find an entrepreneur anywhere who doesn't say some days are bloody hard and some days you're tired and you still get up and do it. How do you take care of yourself through all this? I have really long baths. <laughs> And um, like nothing better than to hop in a bath and read. So I actually unplugged over over the holidays just gone. I had nearly three weeks of nearly non-digital, you know, no digital time. And I read about seven books and plugged into a lot of podcasts. I mean, that's digital, okay, podcasts. But, you know, um, but that's how I do it. I love words first and foremost. I'm, I'm a writer and I find it deeply relaxing um, reading. And I read a lot of poetry as well. Um, so that's that's my unplug. And then, you know, I do the usual stuff. I go for walks along the beach with my husband, my kids, with the dog, etc. When you're reading, is that fiction, non-fiction? Uh, a bit of both, actually. Um, I read five non-fiction and two fiction over the break. Um, I do read, I confess, quite a few business books, but I'm one of those people who's I've usually got around about six or seven books on my bedside table and I read them kind of all simultaneously and I have a little notebook and I write down and sketch little things as they come to me. So, um, yeah, I don't like – I mean, I did with the fiction lock into just one book. I'll read a fiction book end to end, but usually with nonfiction I'll, um, I'll tap in and out of it. Someone who I confess as well, a big reader, and it's something that's come up a lot from students, something that's really un- surprised me and unusual, I sort of thought – when I work with students, so often they'll say, oh, Josh, you were always posting on LinkedIn in general, but also always posting on LinkedIn about books you're reading and things you've learned and how you've changed. And I always describe like every time I read a book, if it's a good book, I'll get like a 1% improvement on one aspect of my life. Sometimes you get like the light bulb moment and you're like, oh my gosh, I was missing this whole thing. But a lot of the time it's like little improvements across lots of different parts of life. And I love that. And students have seemed to be really receptive to this idea of continuous self-improvement. And I think embodying those, embodying some of the principles of leadership is that you take extreme ownership of situations. You know that you can change things, but it's ultimately down to you to change yourself and improve and that that will never stop. You'll always keep improving yourself. Something I'd love to know from you for someone who's been in multiple leadership roles, now is CEO. In the last 12 months, are there any little 1%, 1%, two millimeter kind of improvements that you've made in the business or your own life? I think, again, and I, I said it earlier, is not asking for permission, is doing it. And, and that whole idea of, of 
just getting shit done and we hear it a lot and overused but but actually um, I think I can tend to sit around and want to get things perfect and I suffer from that you know uh, perfection not that I ever reach it I'm sure but that um, that want to have things perfect and there's I've tried to really take on the ship it ship it and test it first um, mentality and it's quite a challenge to do that because you you know you can hold yourself back I think from and you want to get things right but um, really trying to get into that discipline of sprints and, and working in an agile way and we do that in our project teams uh, and the interns we're working with at the moment we're really doing a lot of stand-ups and showcasing and really showing them what that lived experience of, of that looks like and um, so yeah I'm really trying to do that work and work smarter I think that's the other thing is um, if we look at productivity and there's so much around at the moment around how do you optimize your productivity and I don't mean getting up at 4 30 in the morning that's not going to improve my life um, we can't get away from our basic biology and we do need sleep or some more than others but I mean what does it mean to have a productive day a high value day you know what is the sum of a day that's that's been worthwhile and so I do try to uh, adopt some habits around um, you know I set sort of a, a triage or an agenda for myself at the start of the day and I work to achieve that and they're simple things of course um, but but they work the other thing that I have taken on is goal setting and for me that's that's really quite big and I write down a set of goals so um, I went took myself for a very big walk along the bay uh, just early in the new year and I thought about what are those things coming up for me. Um, some of them being goals that didn't make it onto my list last year or the year before but should have. And so this year I've got five really clear goals for what I want to achieve for myself personally slash professionally. Um, last year, the ones I set, I achieved them all. Um, Congratulations. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I think it's just those little sort of habits. That's what I try and glean from some of the, some of the books what are some habits that you have in your life that could help young people to at least try? So we did a fabulous activity where we were given a time box. We probably had two hours or something to do it, a piece of paper and a Sharpie. And we had to draw a dot at each end of the piece of paper and a line in between. And we had to populate that line with the moments in our life from zero to now. So if you only live 15 years, 20 years, 100 years, that's what you've got. That's your timeline. And it was a really powerful activity and I would suggest anybody do it because it's really interesting what comes up for you because you can't put everything on there. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. How do you how do you put bounds on that such that they don't you, write down every moment of every day last week? Well, you can't because you can't fit it on the page. So yeah. it's what comes up. What were those peaks and troughs of your life? And also the way that you draw it, and there's no rule to this, is mine had um, literally like a series of... Uh, you know, mountains above and then lines below. And I could really see what were those um, forming moments for me as I, as I stormed through my life. So the time is on the X axis, basically, from like left to right landscape. And so above the line is is po what you consider a positive experience? Did I you did have it, to put I it... I did it like that. You of course you did, because you went X, Y to go yeah, STEMI. <laughs> but um, I found that a really powerful thing to do. Hmm. Um, the other thing is to be and mindful again yes of course we all strive for mindfulness but we've all got monkey brains and ultimately your chatter gets loud um, sometimes but there's a great quote by a woman called Annie Dillard she says how we spend our days is of course how we spend our lives so don't take your days for granted I as I get older see mortality I've you know buried one of my parents and and many friends sick and um, once you really start to you know, hello, of course, we're all mortals. Once memento mori comes up for you strongly, uh -huh. you start to then see your days as these precious things that you should use well. 
You've got to you've got to see this. I'll show you after the podcast. I stole one of the things I stole from a Tim Ferriss podcast was he has on his bottom right hand corner of his computer screen the Memento Mori coin, and I've got that on my. I'll show you after the podcast. It's on the bottom of my screen, which basically, if anyone hasn't heard that, is just like remember that we are all mortal. We are all going to die, which is humbling and very stoic. And we've talked about that in previous podcasts. So do you know where that phrase came from? No. So from ancient. Rome, when the victorious sort of generals used to ride back in from battle, they used to oh, they had someone on the back, right? Slaves to go behind them, going memento mori. Don't let your head de- get too big, mate, because you're actually going to die as well. So when they got this godlike, inflated, Trumpian-style version of themselves, they would be the bubble would be popped. Um, so how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. Love that, and couldn't agree more. When you said how you live your days, how you live your life, it was so funny. I was walking here, one of my kind of goals for this year, and I've got super into goal setting because I've just figured out how crucial it is for students and young leaders. And one of my goals is to use LinkedIn because I love it. I think it's a beautiful platform to post on it while I'm in transit so that it's not work time and good creative time or business development time. But like when I'm on a tram, because I'm always moving around, that's when I want to post and I want it to be less perfect. So I want it to be, I've got 30 seconds to put a post up. And the reason I bring that up is today I was, I got off at East Richmond. I was walking down to your office to meet you. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, oh, this is great. I really want to share this little thing that happened this morning. And I took a little selfie with the 60 cent sticker that I bought and I put it up on LinkedIn. And I've never done this before, but I put this hashtag down the bottom that was life is just a bunch of Tuesdays. And the reason I put that there was I was in a podcast once before and I just, you know, I, I talk to think. That's why I talk a lot. If anyone ever thinks like, Josh, you talk all the time. It's like, yeah, that's how I think. Uh, I was in a podcast once and it was a Tuesday like it is today, funnily enough. And I said something to the extent of why I'm so focused on gratitude. Why I'm so focused on it is at the end of the day, life is just a bunch of days, one after another. And I think it's so valuable to find a way to, we're recording this on a Tuesday, how are you going to make today amazing? How are you going to be grateful for the little things that happened today, for the serendipity, the things that pop up, the fact that we're in this beautiful recording space at the moment that you know has been provided to us, the fact that we get to meet, I get to hang out with you. Like This is awesome. This is such an excuse just to chat to you. And I don't know why it came up, but I put it there. And what I'm trying to share when I talk about this in workshops is that life is just a bunch of days just like today. And it can't be, I've got parents who are retiring at the moment, grandparents who are moving into aged care facilities now. Um, I read Being Mortal by Atul Gawande, which is an amazing book. You've read it as well? Awesome. I read that over the holidays. And that was the eye-opening just about like how how we age and how we change. And that you don't want to get to that later stage of life and then look back and go, oh, wow, I I set this goal too far in the future that I thought life's going to be amazing when I make $100 million and didn't enjoy every day leading up to it. Monkeys want more bananas. Exactly. And there's a great, I talk about this all the time, there's this great experiment where they give a monkey one banana and somehow measure that it's happier. Makes sense. Monkey gets happy when he gets a banana. Another monkey right next to it gets two bananas and one gets taken away. I think Dan Gilbert might talk about it in Stumbling on Happiness, which is really interesting from that point of view of of gratefulness and the play of, depending on if you're in pain and what that means. But... Monkey who has two bananas and one taken away is miserable. Monkey who gets given one banana is happy. Both monkeys have one banana. Yes. And success is the same, right? I was listening to something the other day and I'm trying to think who said it. So if we look at success or or fame and becoming popular, at least in the current culture, then you want to go from zero to 10. And once you get to 10, you want to go to 20. And then you get to 50. And then you make 
the New York best time, you know, bestseller list or wherever your top of mountain is. And then you see the next mountain. So the human condition is such that we are very rarely satisfied with what we achieve. We want to quest endlessly for the next thing, the next goal. So you don't find that many people who are happy to sit with what they have in the moment unless they've been challenged with some life-threatening illness which gives them suddenly this massive lens on how lucky they are to simply exist or uh, that's what I'm finding I don't know what are your thoughts on that yeah so I think the reframing of I've got more than someone who lives in abject poverty is not overly helpful because as like the Dan Gilbert stuff talks about they did a great study once where they looked at people who weren't earned $70,000 in one group and $80,000 in the other group the problem with the $80,000 though is their peer group all earned 90 so they earned 10k less and they were self-reported less happy on every metric they're happy with their body, with their relationships, with their career, with their finance. So it's so dependent on context. Whereas what I've benefited from, from gratitude is paying attention to the present moment, blocking out the insatiable desire for more, blocking out a lot of the inputs, honestly, and just being able to say like, even little things like the weather, this is always my hack. I do this every morning in the shower. I always think of like three things that I'm grateful for. And now that practice has developed. One of them is always the weather. And it's been just because it's habitual. Every time I get in the shower now, I look out this little window. And if it's sunny, I'm like, all right, what are a bunch of reasons that it's good that it's sunny? So I did it today. It is sunny. Um, but this is simple, right? If it's sunny, I'm walking around the city. I don't get rained on. I'm going to the beach this afternoon to catch up with um, two friends, one of which I haven't seen in six months that people are generally in a good mood when it's sunny. So I benefit from other people. But because I'm like bringing my attention to that, I just feel so much better. Whereas if it's raining, it's the exact same thing. Okay, it's rainy. What's that good for? Well, I know I'm more focused when it's raining. I, I find it calming. I listen to rain playlists when I work a lot. So I'm like, great, today I can really bunk down. I can focus. I bunk down. I can focus on this work. You should move to Tasmania or somewhere. I know. I love, I love it. It's beautiful down there reframing those situations is such a powerful skill. And because I do it every day with the weather, I find myself able to do that in other situations. Like if I'm in a meeting or if I'm having an interaction with someone or particularly a disagreement, I'm just able to give myself those few more seconds of pause because I've conditioned myself to do it frequently to sit there and go, okay, what they said angered me. Why did it anger me? So it's like, I'll give myself pause, step one. And then step two, I've got the framework mentally to work through that and go, okay, why did they anger me? Like, firstly, they didn't anger me. I got angry. I have a need for significance. What they said, I felt violated that. Therefore, what's coming out is anger. I want to tell them to bugger off. That's probably not a good idea. How can I work through this? And it's just those little moments of pause that conditioning myself for that practice has had a really material impact in my life. And my relationships have got better at work and with clients and in business and my family. And my I've practiced and conditioned myself to step back and look and try to reframe things in the positive. Not just like everything's great, because sometimes really horrible things have happened as well. But I, I don't think, unless you're like the low, you're like you're number seven billion in the world, you're at the lowest of low, there's always someone at a lower situation. I don't think you should feel happy because people are lower than you. But I think knowing that there are things in your life that you could be grateful for if you put your focus on them is powerful. Yeah, and open up the mental space. That's right, to be yeah. able to acknowledge. It sounds like you've done. You've got some great practice going on and done some great work around managing um, yourself and being responsible for the emotions that come up in you because, of course, mm. we all have that. We have schema and, and all sorts of currents and subcurrents that swirl around in any interaction and um 
the more consciousness you can bring to that, um, the better place you'll be to have an authentic conversation and come together and allow space for each of you to tell your stories. I had this great um, teacher and, and mentor at Wade Institute, actually, um, Dr. Rufus Black, who's now the Vice Chancellor of the University of Tasmania. Yeah. Incredible man um, and Rhodes Scholar and world debating champion and quite an exceptional person, the most humble man ever and and, an extraordinary intellect. And he once gave us, um, I was part of his leadership course actually the year I did did the masters. And I remember him describing um, a technique that he used when he came into a complex um, situation of conflict and negotiation. And he said, you should imagine the space between you and the other person and that what you're talking about sits in that space. I love that. And it's really effective. And I use that when I am in situations of conflict both personally or professionally um when I am being mindful I can also blow off like a little steam train as well but um but just to actually visualize that there's a gap between you um and pause before you respond even if it's three seconds even if it's five seconds pause collect breathe speak so for the 20,000 plus high school, young tertiary girls that you've already worked with, there's some pretty big events coming up. Obviously, you've got the WOW Summit 2019 coming up in February at the University of Sydney. We do. Yes, that's ever uh, ever approaching. So, yep, we're doing that in partnership with the University of Sydney. We've got some awesome design thinking challenges that the girls are going to work in teams to solve. One of them is how do we redesign democracy for the real world? Mm. And we've got Women for Election Australia partnering with us to, uh, to bring that challenge to the room. Uh, Microsoft, uh, the problem there we're trying to solve for, of course, is trying to bring more girls into STEM disciplines. We've got Rita Arrigo from Microsoft landing that challenge for us. And we've also got Virgin Australia. Uh, who are coming on board for this um, for this summit, and we're going to look to uh, set a challenge around airtime. So, how do we increase diversity in the aviation industry? And they've done some great work, Virgin, around getting more female pilots, etc., and more females into their engineering programs. The summit will also feature lots of speakers um, from uh, Silicon Valley companies, uh, from Women's Agenda. So, Angela Priestley is going to join us to talk about the Mediascape. Um, so, really inspiring, educating, empowering speakers and workshops and content to help girls really get that insight into the future of work. So it's interesting before you mentioned mentorship and we've also talked about social media a little bit. Um, Just over the weekend, I don't know if you're familiar with AIM, Australian Indigenous Mentoring Experience, amazing nonprofit who have worked with well over 100,000 young Indigenous students. In terms of a nonprofit that communicates its outcomes, they're my favourite ever because they're like, here's where the standard is for academic achievement for high school students here's where it is for Indigenous students, here's where it is for the students who go through our program, and it's better than national average. It's unbelievable, their outcomes. Anyway, the reason I bring that up is they're all about mentorship and really being, you can only be what you can see and those kind of ideas. Just over the weekend, they announced that they're ditching all their social media. So even though they have ambassadors that are, what's the guy's, Patrick from Suits, whatever that guy's full name is, Um, like people who are on huge TV shows, Australian Olympians, Uh, Ian Thorpe was a big ambassador for them. Even though they've got these huge celebrity endorsements, they're getting off social social media. And the quote was around, uh, we believe in smart people and dumb phones. And they were talking about, it was a really interesting position as they're prone to do, which is why I like them a lot. Um, It was quite bold. And I'm not necessarily saying I agree with just ditch social media in in all ways, but it's a move they made. But they're so focused on mentorship and setting a good example and challenging the status quo around what it is to be a better version of yourself and exactly what you just said about leadership of figuring out who you are in a team and how to lead a team. So 
in terms of people who've set good examples for you, uh, who would you consider either, answer this one or two ways, who would you consider a mentor, someone that's really given you a lot of value throughout your life? Or what are a couple of the top things that you've gained from the advice or guidance of mentors? I can name three people who are really um, helped me, have helped me um, professionally and personally and have challenged me to make good decisions. One of them is my husband, um, uh, Jeremy, and we've been together a long time. And he and I share a great love for philosophy and, and ethics. And uh, we're always, we'd be a pain in the ass probably to sit with at a dinner party if you sat around us too long. But we love those conversations. They're big questions. And um, he's been a fantastic person for me to bounce off um, as I push into, you know, different areas of, of work and life. Um, and so it's been a great privilege uh, to be able to test my thinking with my life partner. Um, Rufus Black. Um, we, you know, had that, had that year at, in 216 and lucky enough to be taught by him. And I, I learned a lot, um, learning from him formally, but also just through conversation and observing the way that he interacted. I think, um, as I said earlier, he's got a high intellect and a great, um, human ability. And I really value that. Um, Colin McLeod, a professor who's current, actually, he's the director of the Melbourne Entrepreneurial Centre, um, recently appointed. Again, another of my teachers in an academic setting, but he has crossed over into being more what I consider a friend. And I really look to him and see the way he's carved out a portfolio um, career. And I really admire that. And of course, I've got a bunch of awesome girlfriends who, you know, like the life stuff where you just sit around and, uh, and crack each other up and, uh, talk to them about all the silly shit you've done. Um, there's mentorship in that setting too. So it doesn't have to be as formal as, um, you know, sitting at a table at a regular time every month. But I would encourage young people to find your mentors. If that's your friends, your mum, your auntie, your next door neighbour, your teacher, someone who you think you could sit down with and have an honest conversation with and seek feedback and take that on, that's a mentor. Um, and it's as easy as going up to that person and saying, I really admire the way you do X would you have 10 minutes to sit down and have a coffee with me? I'd love to understand more about it. And I think it's really as simple as that. Um, Holly Ransom, who's an exceptional young person who also came, uh, came through Foundation for Young Australians, she's got a podcast called Coffee Pods and I think um, talks about the whole idea that you can learn over a coffee um, a lot of wisdom from people. And um, and as a young person, she uh, she recounts how she used to sit down and, and like cold email or cold call a lot of people and get them to sit down with her so she could learn from them. And everybody has the power to do that. You don't have to be someone, so-called, to sit down with with a famous person or whoever it is and to learn from them. One of the beautiful things about that, and I benefit, benefited from that, multiple guests on this podcast have been the direct result of a DM, you know, sending a quick message. One of the things I think that's really interesting about that is it forces your focus consciously onto the values. If you just message someone who's the CEO of Telstra or whatever and say, hey, can I have 10 minutes of your time? I don't know if they'd necessarily meet with you. What I found has been really valuable is if there's a clear values alignment with someone, hey, you care about youth and leadership and your theory of changing the world is this, even if it's just evident from your LinkedIn profile, if they click on you and they're like, oh, who's this kid who wants to meet with me for 10 minutes? Oh, he's in a leadership program or he's work volunteering or he's doing some mentoring or he's getting some mentorship or he's written an article where he's talking about his own personal development. That person is so much more having been on both sides of it myself. The person is so much more likely to respond to you if there's a values alignment. And I think there's a real beauty in bringing those values to the front and center, kind of like where we started this conversation, rather than letting them sort of like fester untalked about in the background. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think it's all in the ask. So if you are going to reach out to someone cold, um, make sure you ask it in a way that's respectful. And as I said earlier, time is our greatest currency. So if there's someone who's super busy and in a big job or whatever, then respect that um, and always say, what can I do for you? Uh, I think at the end of your time with someone, if they have been generous enough to give it, um, don't send a LinkedIn request that says, hey, uh, I've found you on LinkedIn and I'm trying to grow my network. Can you connect with me? Um, delete those people. Um, like it's just about having a bit of a clue around what's reasonable behaviour and respectful behaviour when you do reach out to people. And um, sometimes that takes, that takes a while to work out what, what your ask is and uh, you don't know what you don't know. Uh, you don't know what you're looking to learn from some people. Sometimes you have mentors in the most surprising places. So um, keep your eyes out for that too. Mads, thanks so much for your time. You're someone who is very busy, is having an amazing impact on the world. So I'm really grateful, back on the gratitude piece, I'm really, really grateful for your time. Uh, also your expertise, one of the things I love to do is every time I get to interview someone or have a conversation with someone, I try to pull out those little nuggets of wisdom that then I'm able to take into my work and pass on to help other young people. So I think today there's a bunch of those that'll come out. I'll write all of them up in the show notes um, I forced myself to do a bit of a like top quotes of the episode, which is completely biased. It's what I got the most out of uh, in the episode and what I think young people will. But again, it puts my focus back on, I want to pull out the best bits here that I think young people need to need to hear or will get value out of hearing and having emphasized in a world where they get, as you said, so many inputs. So thank you for offering your insights. Um, where is the best place? We've mentioned a few resources so far. If young people or people who are interested in the empowerment and development of young people. If they want to learn more about you or your work, where would you direct them to go? Jump on our website. So it's girledworld.com. Uh, you can get us there. We're on all the socials under that same thing. You can hit me up on LinkedIn, but don't ask me to join your network unless it's a good reason. <laughs> uh, I'm there. And um, and please come to one of our events or get engaged with our programs. Um, and as I said, we partner with lots of other organisations and we're always happy to pay it forward. It will take a village to change a generation um, and unleash their potential. So reach out. We're here. Look forward to meeting you. I love it. Thanks for your time. That was Mads Grummet, CEO of Girl World. I hope you took a lot from that episode. Some of my favorite quotes and favorite takeaways included, don't accept systems as they are and don't take status quo as the way things should be. And of course, as Mads reiterated a few times, I don't need to ask for permission and how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. If you'd like to pass on your feedback from that episode, you can find links to my LinkedIn page and Mads' LinkedIn page in the show notes. You can also go to www.campusconsultancy.org forward slash podcast to hear from a range of previous guests, including finding the full write-up of the show notes from this episode with Mads. If you're enjoying the campus experience, I'd love to hear from you. If you have a guest in mind that you think would be perfect, or you're a leader within the university system, and you think the kind of thinking that we discuss on this podcast would be great for your young leaders to hear about and learn from, please reach out. You can get on to me at any time at josh at campusconsultancy.org. Thanks again for listening in. I hope you're getting a lot out of this podcast. Don't forget to take some action with those tips today. And we look forward to seeing you next time.